time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. How's everybody doing, Desperation? You doing good? I just talked to a friend of mine, Braden. Where are you at, Braden? You said you were, you were right there. You were, he, I asked him how he was doing. He said he's tired. Anybody tired already? It's like the second day. Did you stay up too late last night? How many of you are out in the tents? Anybody? Oh, man. It's good. At least it's not raining, you know. Um, how many of you, this is your first time to a desperation event? Whoa! How many of you, this is your second time? Huh? <laughs> Third? Fourth? Fifth? Sixth? Seventh? Eighth? <laughs> All right, well, my, my name's Glenn Packiam. I'm one of the pastors here at New Life Church. I've been at New Life Church uh, 11 years, actually, this summer. And uh, so I was part of the Desperation Conferences since the very beginning, the very first conference in 2002. Uh, I was actually, me and John Egan and Jared Anderson were the three guys who kind of founded the band, Desperation Band. And uh, any of you have that first Desperation Band CD with like the cracked desert and all this stuff? Yeah. And then the second one was the rooftop CD. And anyone got that? We got some junkies in the house. Okay, I was on both of those. And then there was a third one uh, called, uh, let's see, what was it, Jeremiah? Who You Are. The who you, anyone got that? The who you are? One? Okay. Then the one after that was Everyone Overcome. Yeah. Now, that, that was the last album I was on. And then the album after that just was like exponentially better. It was amazing how, how much better the next album was. Um, anyway, love, love John, love all, all the guys. And I, I stepped out of the Desperation Band uh, because my role um, here at the church began to change. And just kind of a side note to you guys, you know. Um, a lot of you at some point in your life, maybe you're already thinking about what does God want me to be? What does God want me to do? How do I get there? How do I find it? And uh, I would just encourage you to, to think about that uh, as more of a journey uh, than it is sort of this uh, goal. You know, like it's this goal, it's this destination. I'm going to get there. I'm going to take these steps. I'm going to get there. Because a lot of times in life, and maybe your youth pastors or youth leaders have already told you this, but a lot of times in life there's detours and you, 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 the Lord leads you, uh, but not always in the ways that you would expect. And so uh, as a part of my story, you know, I kind of started out with the desperation band, but kind of had this sense uh, that I really wanted to, to teach the Bible more and be in a, a, more of a pastoral role and Anyway, and so watching the Lord kind of redirect and, and, and work with us that way. So one of my favorite verses, and this is not what this seminar is about, but I just feel like I should uh, share this up top here. Uh, you know the story of Samuel, you know, the boy Samuel, and, and like he hears, yeah, shout out for Samuel, that's great. Um, <laughs> cool. Uh, and, and he hears this voice, right? And he goes to Eli and says, hey, did you call me? He says, no. And, and then the, finally the third or fourth time, you know, Samuel goes back and he says, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Uh, I think there's something powerful about taking the posture of a servant, about saying, Lord, I'll be your servant. Even before I hear what you're going to say, you just need to know that the answer is yes. You know, we, we've talked about this, you know, uh, just kind of this, this idea of, of taking the posture of the servant, saying, Lord, 
I'm, I'm 16, 17, 18, whatever, 20, 22. I don't know where I'm headed. I know I have these passions. I know I have these desires. And God, I'm going to faithfully go this direction and this direction and trust you to, to lead me and, and, uh, and do that. All right? Okay, what do you think the seminar is called today? Because there's two different bits of info. There's one in your book and then there's one on the slide in there. Uh, what, what do you think the seminar... How many of you think the seminar is about how your life can make a world of difference? couple of you, that's what the book says, and it's my fault for changing it. How many of you think the seminar is about how to live as the God-dependent? How many of you, like, had no clue what the seminar is about? You're just here because it's like a big room. And, all right, all right. That's great. That's, that's fantastic. <laughs> Let's open in a word of prayer, and then, uh, and then we'll decide what we'll talk about here in a minute. <laughs> Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that we belong to you. Thank you that we're your children, we're your sons and daughters because of Jesus. And that Jesus, we're so grateful for you, that you're our Savior, you're the center. Holy Spirit, thank you that you fill us, that you're here with us, that you're God with us. We're not distant. We're not far away. We love you. Uh, Speak to us from your word today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, can I tell you a bit more about my story? I grew up in Malaysia, uh, which um, is about as far as you can go on the other side of the world before you start coming back. You know, the world is round. Let's write that down. Um, Just kidding. And uh, I grew up in Malaysia when I was 10 years old. My family felt like the Lord was leading them uh, to go to Bible school in the States. And my dad was an executive at an ad agency, and he had a lot of good job, a lot of perks that went with that job. My mom was a part-time teacher. But they both felt like the Lord was leading them to Bible school. And so at 10 years old, my sister was 13, I was 10, we moved from Malaysia to uh, Portland, Oregon, USA. I mean, I don't know if you can imagine that kind of change in your life. It's bigger than moving out of Texas. I mean, it's kind of a big deal. And um, I grew up speaking English. And, uh, you know, Malaysia used to be this British colony. And so I grew up speaking English. But but coming to America was was, was very exciting. And we, we just thought it was, it was loads of fun. And, and um, uh, I, I remember that time as being a very adventurous time in our lives. And it's not until I've, you know, gotten older and, and, and had, you know, now we have, I'm married now. It'll be 10 years this summer that I've been married. Uh, met my wife in college. Yeah, beautiful lady, um, a woman of God. And we've got three kids. We've got a, a six-year-old girl named Sophia. Uh, we've got a four-year-old girl named Nora. And we've got a little 18-month-year-old little boy named Jonas. And so people joke that we gave our daughters their very own Jonas brother. And yes, we did. It's nothing to do with the band, though. We, we, don't, we really don't care for the band. I mean, whatever. It's just that we don't... Anyway, okay. Um, leave that aside. But, but being, a, being a parent now and thinking about taking care of my kids and, and t- thinking about having the job and all this stuff, it's made me look back at the years that our family lived in Portland, Oregon. We lived there for three years. And it's made me realize how big of a risk it was. Uh, my, uh, as I mentioned, my, my parents both gave up some pretty good jobs and o- obeyed the Lord. And, and um, the, the exchange rate, currency-wise, like one U.S. dollar, it takes about three and a half Malaysian dollars to buy one U.S. dollar. So you can imagine whatever money my parents had had saved up was not a lot of money. It was not near enough uh, to get them uh, through it, and, and they were totally living by faith. My dad went from uh, working as an exec in an ad agency, you know, kind of in, with a nice office and all this stuff, to working as a janitor in the church uh, in Portland, Oregon. And this is kind of a, you know, uh, um, uh, when I think about it now, I realize what a sacrifice it must have been. But I never realized it then. I never felt it then because t- things were good. My, my parents were, were happy. We saw the Lord come through for us. 
But as I think about it, I have a lot of memories of my dad, you know, making four bucks an hour or whatever, you know, minimum wage was in the 80s and, and, uh, and, and work pushing the vacuums at the hallways of the church late at night. He tells the story of, of being in a service on Sunday morning trying to worship uh, with my mom and the family and, and, uh, and being called aside to say, hey, um, the bathroom's clogged. We need you to go. You know, so he's got to take off his jacket. You know, and all of this stuff of, of the kind of uh, uh, sacrifices that they made to obey the Lord and to follow the Lord. I remember one night um, my sister and I were, were sort of um, kind of wishing for a pizza. I, I know that sounds funny. It's like pizza, you know. Pizza just seems like ordinary, but for us, eating out, anything, eating out at all was a, was a big treat. We lived in this little uh, tiny apartment, and, and the furniture uh, was all donated, hand-me-down furniture. And so we had this orange plaid couch that you could kind of feel the springs coming through it, you know. I thought it was the coolest couch in the world because when you unfolded it, it was a bed. You know, anyway. Um, and, <laughs> we, we didn't have much, but um, I remember one night my sister uh, saying, oh, wouldn't it be nice to, to have some pizza tonight, you know, and my parents saying, that would be great, but um, you know, we really can't afford that. And uh, we, of course, understood. And, and, uh, and then my dad was helping someone else in the apartment complex move in uh, to their apartment. And, uh, and all of a sudden, as he's about to leave, the guy says, hey, you know, we ordered a bunch of pizzas for everyone who's helping today. Uh, we, and my dad had no clue that they were going to do that. And he says, um, you want to take back a couple of these extra boxes? And so he comes back and says, guess what, kids? We got pizza, you know. And we're like, manna from heaven. Wow. It's a miracle. You know? There are times in your life where it, it feels like things are the bleakest, feels like things are the darkest. And yet, somehow in the midst of it, you can feel the most blessed. Anybody experienced that? Sometimes you're going through something that's really, like, on paper, if you were to describe it, you know, uh, you'd say, man, that's that really, that, that's difficult, that stinks, that's tough. And yet, somehow in the midst of it, you feel like the, maybe the Lord is there, or the Lord's in the midst of this. And maybe there's some of you who think, yeah, I, no, I've been in dark, I'm in a dark time, and I actually, I don't feel very blessed, I don't feel like the Lord... Uh, is there? I want to tell you th- this morning about a group of people that Jesus looked at and uh, and said, "Hey, you, you you guys have got it good." And it was a surprising group of people, really, because uh, it's not the people that you would think he would say this about. And if you got a Bible, turn with me to Luke six, uh, Luke six verse twenty. Uh, th- these are the the passages here that are known as the Beatitudes. Now. Uh, if you've memorized this, or, or it would be a good thing to memorize, uh, but if you have memorized it, probably you memorized the version in Matthew. Matthew 5 uh, has the, the full list of the Beatitudes, so to speak. There's eight of them there anyway. And so it says, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for there's the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. All of this stuff. Now, here's the deal. Luke's Beatitudes are only half as long. There's only four of them instead of eight. So you're thinking, okay, what's up, Luke? How come we only did four, you know? But there's another major difference about Luke's. Now, if any of you like playing those games where, you know, you look at two pictures and stare at them and see which one's different, okay? Here's a little pop quiz for you. Keep your finger in Matthew 5 and then in Luke 6 and tell me what you notice that's different about these Beatitudes other than them being shorter, okay? Take a few minutes. Do a little, do a little homework right now, a little open book test. Look at Matthew 5. Look at Luke 6. And, and tell me, and think about a few differences, and then, and then I'll read Luke 6 out loud, and then, and then you can shout out some responses. All right, go for it. Yeah. 
I trust that those of you who are staring at your phones are reading the Bible on it, you know, not updating Facebook. Come on now. Do that at noon. Okay, Matthew 5 and Luke 6. Okay, I'm going to read Luke 6's um, Beatitudes, and then, and then I'm going to ask you for some differences that stand out to you, all right? Here we go. Verse 20, looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Okay, uh, Anyone want to take a take a stab here? It's one of the differences you notice, yeah. Very good. Okay, so in Luke, he, Jesus seems to be talking to these these specific people and says, "Blessed are you who are poor." Good. Yes, sir. That's 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 phenomenal. Okay, so in Matthew, he says, "Blessed are the poor in spirit." In Luke, he just says, blessed are the poor, like literally, like seriously, like those who are poor. Okay, okay great. And actually, if we follow it all along, he, he does that again with the hunger, right? In Matthew 5, he says, hunger and thirst for righteousness. But in Luke, he says, blessed are you who are hungry now, like literally, like you don't have enough food. Okay, good. Any other observations? Am I missing someone? Yep. More joy-oriented. Okay. He tells them to rejoice, all right? That's true, isn't it? So Matthew says when they falsely... Luke just says, look, whenever they speak evil of you, uh, maybe even uh, if there's something true about it, okay? Here's what I want you to see. Luke is not spiritualizing things. He's saying it in a very matter-of-fact way. He's saying, okay, look, to those who are poor, to those who are hungry, to those who are weeping, to those who are being persecuted and rejected, to those who are being... Look, you're the ones who've got it good. Now, this word blessed uh, is a word that we use a lot in church, but... I'm going to go ahead and guess that most of you don't use that word at school. Okay, like when you say it to your friends, Hey man, what's up? I'm blessed. Some of you might. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But I'm just going to go out on a limb and say that, that you don't use that word in your conversation very much, except maybe with your church friends. Am I right? And certainly your, non, your friends who aren't church friends probably don't use that word ever. Am I right? Most of the time when people are trying to say a word for... The person who's got it good or who, who had something great and unexpected happen to them. The, let's say this. Let's say you were trying to say to the person who had something surprising and unexpected and good happen to them. What would you say to them? He got lucky. He got lucky. Man. Almost like Napoleon Dynamite. You know, like, lucky. How'd you get tater tots? You know, it's just this, it's just this thing of like, man, mm, lucky, you know. 
The word that Jesus has used here, not to get into Aramaic and Greek and Hebrew, just there is a, there were a couple of word choices that, that Jesus had, or that the gospel writers had when they were writing down Jesus's words. They could have used a very religious word. There was a very religious word. It's the word eulogia. It's it's used whenever they're trying to say "Blessed be God" or "You're blessed by God." It was a religious word, a church word, if you will. But the word that the gospel writers in Matthew and in Luke used for Jesus, guess what? It's a street word. It's not a religious word. It's a word from everyday conversations. It's the word that just means you're fortunate. Man, you got it good. Wow, good for you. Or maybe in our slang, lucky. Now, you know, I always got to qualify this among, among uh, Christians because we don't like the word lucky. Because lucky sounds like chance. It sounds like random. I don't mean it that way. I don't, there, there's two ways we use the word luck. I, I don't mean it by randomness. I don't mean it by chance. I just mean it when you look at someone and you say, man, he's got it good. Wow, lucky you, man. Lucky you, you made the team. Or lucky you, 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 know, you, you got to take a vacation. Whatever it is. And we don't really mean that it was random or by chance. We just mean something surprising, something good, something unexpected has happened. Now, why would Jesus say this? To a group of people that society would call losers. Right? What is it that the poor and the hungry and the weeping and the rejected have in common? If you were to pick one word for that group of people, what would that word be? Brokenness? What else? Unlucky. You'd be like... Man, these people, bummer, you know. They're actually poor. They're actually hungry. They're actually weeping. Bad stuff has happened to them. They're reject. These are the people that society looks at and says, nah. These are the people who would never make the cover of any magazine here in America. These are the people that would never be on a TV show. These are the people that would have, like, zero followers on Twitter. You know? You think about like a certain person, like, wow, he's got a million followers. These are the people that would have like zero followers. They would have joined Twitter from day one and have zero followers. You know? Nobody cares about these guys. They, and much more so in Jesus' day in the first century, the poor were looked down on because it, it was sort of the people that, that, that they thought, oh, well, you must have sinned. Oh, well, you must have done some. That's why you're poor. That's why you don't have food. That You're the outcast because surely you made God mad. And Jesus comes to these people and says, you're lucky. What? You're blessed. You're fortunate. You've got it good. What? Why would he say that? And the temptation here is to kind of focus on, on just one part of the beatitude and say, oh, well, there must be something that's virtuous about being poor or being hungry. And so I'm not going to eat dinners anymore. I'm just going to go without dinners every night because you know, I'll be more... You know. or, or maybe I need to be poor. Maybe I, and we sort of think maybe the first half of the phrase is the important part. Can I tell you something? Luke makes it clear that the focus of why Jesus calls them blessed is the second half of the phrase. You're not poor because you're you're not blessed because you're poor. You're blessed because the kingdom has come to you in spite of you being poor. You're not blessed because you're hungry. You're blessed because you will be filled one day, a little bit now, but ultimately at this great feast that's coming, you will be filled. And because of that, you're really blessed. You're not blessed because you're mourning, because life sucks. You're blessed because in spite of it, you will receive the comfort of God. 
You're not blessed because you're rejected. You're blessed because in spite of being the rejected, you are the children of God. You belong to this. You are part of a great tradition of followers of of God who have been rejected. Jesus is saying, you're blessed because I'm bringing something surprising, something unexpected, something good to you. Now think about that for a minute. Think about what our TV, Facebook ads, whatever. Think about who our society says what it takes to make you lucky. Well, you got to be rich. Well, you got to be this. Well, you got to be successful. Well, you got to be this. Well, you got to be that. And Jesus is saying, wait a minute. If you've ever felt like you don't belong, if you've ever felt like you're on the outside, if you've ever felt like you're on the margin, if you've ever felt like nobody gets you, if you've ever felt like you don't fit this thing or that, if you've ever felt looked down upon, if you've ever felt pushed aside, if you've ever felt that, the good news is the kingdom has come to even you. That's remarkable. Means there's no such thing as saying, I'm, oh, he's God, you know. And we get this way even in church, don't we? We look at a certain person, they're the all-star man, they're really, they're radical, they're this, and I'm just me. I'm kind of like, you know, second rate, second class, second string. And Jesus is saying, hang on, wait, wait a second here. I've come so that all of you, if you believe in me, all of you are in You're all sons and daughters. You should have this sense deep in your heart that says, my goodness, what did I just get in on? How did I get so lucky? Jesus. But you know, there is something about the poor and the hungry and the mourning and the rejected. You know what else they have in common? One of you said, you said brokenness, right? That's it. If you were to pick a word, another word and say, okay, so one of you said, you know, they're unlucky. That's true. They're outside. They're, they're the one society. But you know what else they kind of all have in common? They're powerless. They got nothing. You, they, these are not the people that can make stuff happen. You know, you meet those people and like, hey, man, how'd you do that? I don't know. My dad knows a guy who knows a guy. You know people who can make things happen? These are the folks that don't know anybody. They got no connections. They got no strings. They got no guy who knows a guy. They're on LinkedIn, and they're not LinkedIn to anybody. You know, that's more of an adult thing, but, you know, just thought I'd throw that in. <laughs> Christians laugh. <laughs> when I think of who this is like, I think of Bartimaeus. Do you know the story of Bartimaeus? Bartimaeus is this uh, beggar. You know, he's blind and sitting on the road to Jerusalem. And think about being blind and think about not being able to see, think about having to rely on your other senses, your sense of touch and smell and hearing. You you just, you know, this is what you do every day. You sit on the side of the road and you hope that somebody throws you some food, maybe some money. But probably you're at a busy part of town and people are walking around and, and every day you hear footsteps. That's what you hear. You hear footsteps all the time, footsteps. Occasionally you get dust kind of kicked in your face. Sometimes people yell at you. 
One day, Barnabas is sitting there and, and he hears a, a, a group of footsteps. He, he can only imagine that this is a crowd and he, hear, he hears this group of footsteps walking by and there's these voices, is kind of, they're excited. There's a little bit of a buzz, you know, and they're, something is happening here. And, and, and he hears this one voice, it's this very calm, uh, gentle, loving voice speaking to these people and talking to them. And whenever he, that voice speaks... The other voices are quiet. And, but whenever the other voices speak, you keep hearing them say a name. And the name they keep saying is Jesus. And Bartimaeus is sitting there and, and he's, he's, been, he's spent a lot of time on this road. And, and, and he thinks, wait a minute, Jesus, man, I, I've heard that name. And I, I've heard other crowds talking about him. And I, I, think, I think this Jesus is, is you know, is something about him, right? And so Bartimaeus realizes who he thinks this Jesus is and he, and he decides to, to, to cry out and he kind of maybe, maybe gets up a little bit inside the road and he says, hey, have mercy on me, son of David. Footsteps kind of stop a little bit. Voices kind of hush. And, and then a voice speaks to him, but it's not the calm, gentle, loving voice. It's this harsh, gruff voice that says, Be quiet. Bartimaeus is used to taking this kind of abuse. This is sort of what his life has been about. But if this really is Jesus, there's no way he can stop. And so he kind of fumbles a little bit closer and he says, Son of David, have mercy on me, he cries out even louder. Again, the footsteps have stopped and the voices have hushed. And he thinks he can hear this quieter, calm voice saying, Call him. A couple of footsteps come toward him and that gruff voice says to him, Hey, cheer up! He's calling you! (laughs) Cheer up? Didn't you just tell me to shut up? (laughs) Bartimaeus knows this is his moment and so he gets on his feet and he's making his way and he can tell that the, the footsteps kind of parting And he hears that voice, that calm, gentle, loving voice say to him, what do you want me to do for you? Now, this is weird. Because why would Jesus say that? Because Jesus, don't you know, isn't it obvious? Here's what I want you to notice about this passage, and you can read it in Mark 10. Bartimaeus doesn't just call Jesus by some name. He calls him Son of David. Now that, that may not mean anything to you, but do you know what it meant to a Jew in the first century? It meant Messiah. To say to someone, you're the Son of David, is to say, hey, aren't you the one that we've been waiting for? Aren't you the one we've been hoping for? Aren't you that long-awaited Messiah, the hero, the one that's supposed to come and rescue us? And, And maybe Bartimaeus has spent enough time sitting on the side of the road and overhearing conversations that maybe he knows that the same Isaiah prophet that talks about the Messiah, the Son of David coming, also says that when Messiah comes, the lame will walk, the blind will see this guy can do stuff because he's special. 
Maybe Bartimaeus had heard that just a few, I don't know, weeks, months earlier, maybe years ago, Jesus had stood up in the synagogue and read out of the scroll of Isaiah 61 and said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Freedom to the captives, all this stuff. And maybe Bartimaeus, when he said, Son of David, have mercy on me, was not at all saying, Dude! But he was saying, I I, I believe there's something special about you and I need you. Now, when Jesus says, what do you want me to do? I think what Jesus is doing is saying, Bartimaeus, do you really believe that I am Messiah? If you do, ask me for something only Messiah can do. Does that make sense? If Bartimaeus replies, well, I'd like some dinner, please. And then Jesus would know, well, I guess you didn't. All that son of David talk was just, you didn't really believe that. If he had said, well, I just need some bread or I just need another robe or give me some alms or I need this. If he had asked for anything else, Jesus would know. Well, Bartimaeus, yes, sure, you can have this. But clearly you don't maybe believe. But Jesus knows something. And you might want to write this one down. That what you ask of God reveals what you believe about God. What you ask of God reveals what you believe about God. Your prayer gives away your theology every time. Every time. Ten out of ten times. And as a side note, we could say, yeah, if I were to look at all my prayers, I guess my theology is that I'm pretty selfish and God's my butler. Or... It would show what Bartimaeus' prayer showed. As Bartimaeus says, Sir, teacher, rabbi, I, I, I want to see. I want to see. To be the kind of people that are really the ones Jesus is talking about, the ones that the kingdom has come to, is to be the kind of people that are always, always desperate for God. It's easy to be God-dependent, desperate, when stuff is falling apart, when life is falling apart. It's easy to be that way. You know what often happens to us? Is we, we come to the Lord, like Bartimaeus, as a baby, and we're like, Oh, Jesus, help! And we sing Jared's song, you know, I need you, Jesus, Come to my rescue. Where else can I go? It's beautiful. We're like, oh, God, let's go. And then you start doing pretty good. Making good grades. Make a football team, whatever. You know, you're doing good. You got, you're kind of upperclassmen now, you know, not being picked on. Muscles start developing. You know. <laughs> you're kind of the man, you know, or the lady. The queen. Youth group is like happening, you know, your prayer meetings working, and you went from being like the rejected to being the admired. And then what happens is we start to think that maybe we don't need God as much as we did then. Now, nobody consciously thinks it. Nobody consciously says, ah, I don't need God. What happens is we 
our prayer gives that away. Or our lack of prayer gives that away. And then you stop praying and you stop crying out and you stop asking God. You stop thinking because you subconsciously deep down inside sort of think, thanks God, I got it. Almost as if like God gave you a start, but it's like, man, thanks, dude. I'll take it from here. Thanks for picking me up while I was down. But now that I'm up, I'm good. Can I tell you something? You never graduate from grace. You never outgrow your need for God. You never stop being truly dependent on him. Part of what Jesus is saying, and in Luke 6, he continues on by saying a bunch of woes, right? Like, woe to you, like a bunch of curses, in a sense, uh, some, some bad news stuff to the guys who are rich, who have it all together. And he's basically saying, if you ever come to the place where you think you got it made and you got your stuff together and you're the dude and you're the queen, you're the, the then woe to you because you don't get it. You don't get it. The ones who live in this kingdom are the ones who always remember that they are Bartimaeus. The ones who live out in the kingdom of God are the ones who always remember, I'm poor, I'm needy, I need you. I'm not afraid to say it. I just heard about a study this morning. I was talking with a friend who was telling me that They're finding out that atheism grows at a rapid rate, more rapid rate, in countries that have wealth. And so the conclusion was, well, clearly Christianity is just for people who are poor and needy. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I actually have no disagreement with that. But the statement is, do we ever realize how needy we are? How dependent on God? We are. How every breath each day comes from Him. How every, light, every day, every sunrise, it all comes from our Creator who holds it all. Do we realize that our ability to love Him and praise is not because of my goodness and my worth, but it's because of Jesus? Look, everything begins and ends and is sustained in the middle by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Nothing rests on you. Now, actually, that's very, very good news. Actually, that's remarkable news. Because the biggest fear after desperation is, okay, great, I'm going to go home Saturday. It's going to be on you. Sunday will probably still be on a high. The first youth group next week on Wednesday is going to be, man, it's going to be a powerful time. And then you're starting to think, what about August? What about September? What about back to it? How do I live this out there. How do I live this out then? With the same desperation you have now. With the same God dependence that you have now. With the same knowledge that, man, I can't. What I want you to walk away with this morning is to know that Jesus doesn't look at us and see, man, you're like super Christian. You're like, eh, He looks at us and sees his sons and daughters that all deeply need him and need our Father in heaven. Does that make sense? Yes, there are others that are farther along in the Lord than we are. Of course. Of course that's true. But the most mature Christians will tell you that they need God. They realize they're more aware of their need of God now than they ever have been. Am I right? 
youth pastors, youth leaders in the house, the, more, the longer you've been walking with the Lord, the more you realize the depth of how much we need Him. How much we've got to have His strength that sustains us. But the good news is, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom. It's yours. All of God's strength and grace and empowerment, His reign, His rule itself becomes yours. Can I tell you another piece of what happens to you? We believe very strongly here at New Life that we've been made lucky so that we can carry this luck, this holy luck, this news of surprising, unexpected news of the kingdom to others. We take that pretty seriously here uh, recently, we, we just opened a, a, in partnership with a few other churches, opened a dream center that helps um, women who can't afford some basic female health care. Several years ago, our youth group here uh, began to say, what if we would raise some money to build some orphanages? I think some of you know the story of Heartwork. Any of you familiar with that? If you don't, you should get to know this story. But it began with a youth group saying, oh, what could a few hundred high school kids do? Oh, what could, you know, I mean, high school kids kind of poor. You know. These kids, like, in the span of a few months, like, got extra jobs and worked their tail off and raised, like, over $60,000. Build a couple orphan homes. It's crazy talk. Who has that kind of money? And what, what birthed out of it is my friend Jeremiah Parks who began this, this, this ministry called Heartwork. And they said, look, lots of young people want to do something, but they don't know what or where. So what if Heartwork became kind of the middleman and we'll go talk to uh, Hope Chest and Compassion, all these other places that do work and, and, and dig wells and all this stuff in, in, in places all around the world. Let's talk to them. Let's make a little menu of bite-sized options of things that could be like a hundred bucks to like a ten thousand. Let's make a whole bunch of these options here, and then let's encourage students to form groups of five, maybe ten, maybe twenty, hey, maybe fifty, and pick one of these projects and do it. It's beginning to catch on. Do you know what happens to you when you begin to see yourself as the poor and the powerless and the God-dependent? You begin to recognize that same thing in others. I wonder if part of the reason why we just were consumed with our own little melodrama of our world and what she said about me and what he did, all of that stuff. Wow, dramatic effect. I wonder if we're so wrapped up in our little world of all this Not that that's unimportant. It's real. It's true. But I wonder if we're so defined by it because we think, hey, man, this shouldn't happen to me. I'm a Christian, so shouldn't life work out? Shouldn't I be able to rebuke gossip in Jesus' name and then they stop? But if you realize that the, actually the kingdom is full of the poor and the powerless and the weak and the rejected, then you just say, all right, good. That's my membership card. I'm feeling pretty powerless. I'm feeling pretty on the outside. I can't fix my parents' marriage. I can't save my friends from committing suicide. I can't stop my friend from cutting. I can't, I'm pretty, you know what? Yes, but God, I trust in you. 
But God, you are my comfort. But God, you are my strength. But God, help. And you begin to pray. Desperation is fueled on prayer because the two things go together. When you realize how desperate, how God-dependent you are, you pray. But something else begins to happen. When you pray, you look at others who are poor and desperate and powerless. And you say, God, what can we do? Does that make sense? That's why this conference is a prayer movement and a missions movement. It's a both and. That's why the heart of desperation as a conference, as a movement, is not just about, hey, come on, let's get together, let's jump, let's have some fun, and then let's go home and say, wasn't that great? But to say, let's never forget that we are God-dependent, desperate people, and because we are, we can, in the name of Jesus, bring a cup of cold water to someone else. Speak a word of life. To someone else. That we can, in the name of Jesus, give up frappuccinos for a month and say, how about I'll take that 30 bucks and put it towards this project, that thing, maybe through hard work, maybe through another thing, maybe through your church's project, whatever it is. The people who realize how God-dependent they are end up being the people that God uses to reach others. Do you believe that? I think you're lucky on two counts. I think you're lucky because the kingdom has come to you. Yes, you. But I think you're also lucky because God wants the kingdom to come through you to others. That's remarkable. How is it that little old me gets to be part of what God is doing in the world? Because this is the kind of people that God uses. Not the ones who call themselves strong but the ones who know that they are weak. Let's pray. I want you to think for a moment about your life and maybe the, um, maybe the things you've told yourself about why you don't belong or why you don't fit in or... Even in this conference, maybe, you know, looking at others and looking at the worship times and saying, well, man, that's great for them, but it's just not me. And I just want you to stop and say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you've brought kingdom of God to me. Thank you that you crossed a thousand barriers to bring me from the outside in. Thank you, Jesus, that the poor and the hungry and the weeping and the rejected are just the kinds of people that you call, are just the kinds of people that you bring in. Maybe some others of you need to stop and just say, all right, God, 
How do you want your kingdom to come through me? Maybe it's serving in your youth group. Maybe it's starting a prayer meeting at your school. Maybe it's getting a bunch of friends together and saying, let's look at this heart work thing. Let's look at a, something for a hundred bucks that we could maybe do. Let's look, for, let's look at something that we can say, let the kingdom of God not just come to us, but let it come through us, God, to bring good news, surprising, unexpected news to others. Take a moment. Think about that. Make a note of it. Pray about it. talked about comes from um, a, a new book out here. You can't miss it. It's green. It's called Lucky. And um, I want to talk to, to you. And I, the reason I'm going to bolt from here is I'm going to go over to the bookstore. They're, they've asked me to do a little book signing thing. I'm not much for uh, necessarily signings, but it's just a good way to talk to you and meet, meet you. So come hang out with me there after we're done. But let's sing this together. Let's learn this together.
kingdom to us. By your spirit, would you use each one of us to let your kingdom come to others. Make us the carriers of this blessing, of this holy, holy luck. The unexpected news of you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for hanging out. Come hang out with me here in just a minute over there by the bookstore. All right, we'll see you in a bit. as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart they've got passion for God they're leading intercession on their schools they're set apart consecrated under God and they've got a vision and a mission for their life 